Nothing seems to attract people more than a scandal. If you tune into any of the uh, news stations at any given time, it won't be long until you hear someone or some organization who did something unbecoming of their reputation or their position, right? And uh, many news outlets have what they call an investigative reporter uh, on staff, and it's their job to find out about abuse of power and corruption and fraud and other scandalous activity, and they expose it, and it's... It's, uh, it's, it's a, uh, some of these guys tend to be a little over the top. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't find myself watching the news all that much. And, um, and, and yet I, oh man, this was years ago. I remember maybe we turned something off and, you know, the news cut, whatever channel it was on comes on and it was in the middle of the news and, uh, channel 19's investigative reporter, I guess he's retired now, but, uh, uh, or no longer there, Carl Munday. You've seen Carl with his trench coat, and he's going down the sidewalk, you know, and he's got his microphone out, and he's chasing this guy, and, and the, you know, the, the uh, camera people are going behind him, and, and this guy definitely didn't want to talk to Carl Monday. And I knew that because as he's going down the sidewalk, he's looking back over his shoulder, and he's going, leave me alone, Carl Monday! Leave me alone, Carl Monday! And, over, and it was uh, ever since that point, uh, years ago, Whenever I hear the words or utter the words, leave me alone, in my mind or out loud, I say, Carl Munday. It just happens. These, uh, these investigative reporters, I think, actually do do a service to society by exposing wrongdoing, especially by people who, who should know better, right, who are in positions of power and maybe they're not being held accountable. And, and, and that's where the scandal comes in. I mean, a regular guy on the street that's doing drugs or robbing a bank isn't necessarily newsworthy as much as if, let's say, the pastor is buying heroin, right? All of a sudden, that's probably going to be somewhere in the news. Or a Fortune 500 company is extorting millions. That's where the scandal comes in. Kings don't get into barroom brawls. Queens don't parade around drunk in public. Presidents don't shoplift. To do any of those things would be, we would say that that is living beneath what's expected of them. And so if we put such expectations on the high positions in the secular world, I think how much more should we be putting expectations on children of God to live up to our high position as followers of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul encourages us to do as he turns a corner midway through this letter in, uh, in the, the, the book of Ephesians. This letter, so the first three, there's six chapters, the first three chapters, um, have primarily addressed our identity, who we are as followers of, of Jesus, and, and, and some of that will continue, but there, there's a lot of theology uh, that we've talked about, there's a lot of doctrine there, uh, laying a wonderful uh, foundation, emphasizing our high position in, in God's family. I mean, we've, uh, we've been chosen by God, we've looked at, and we, we've, uh, we're redeemed, we're adopted into God's family, and his spirit lives within us. We haven't been kept at a distance, we've been brought near through the blood of Christ. We're, we're being built together into a place where God lives. This, this is all from those, those first three chapters. We, we have access to God's glorious, unlimited resources. He's, he's working to bring about things that are beyond our wildest imaginations. All of that should change how we live. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here as he turns the corner. The beginning of of, of chapter 4, he's saying, okay, because of all this, because of who you are in Christ, because of all that God has done for you, all this stuff that we believe, 
what's that look like? And so we're going to look at chapter 4, the first six verses this morning in the book of Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Pretty much the whole rest of the, the, the chapter, the rest of the summer uh, in, in our situation here, uh, hinges on chapter 4, verse 1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, because of all these things that God says you are, because of who you are in Christ, because of your identity, you got to live like it. And then for the next three chapters, he lines out what that looks like. It gets pretty specific with, with a lot of different things. Do this, don't do this, make sure this isn't a part of your life. All these, what does it mean to live out of this identity that God has given us? And, and one big thing we need to notice here that, that kind of sums up our identity in Christ, and that is that we are called. You are called. The, the, the word called uh, used there uh, could also be translated invited. So you're called or you're invited. And whenever this word is used in the Bible, it, it is always God doing the calling. God is the one who is calling or inviting us uh, to something when, when this word is used in Scripture. Uh, here, God is calling us to live up to who we are, our identity in Christ. Oh, you're part of the family of God? Jesus is making his home in your heart? You've been chosen? You're, you're, you're redeemed? Well, live like it. Live up to that. Live up to that call. I've called you to, to, to this. Live like it. Just like we expect... Uh, people in prestigious positions to live up to a certain standard. God expects that in our lives as well. We need to live lives worthy of the fact that we've received a divine invitation to follow Jesus. This, this idea of calling has a couple of aspects to it, and both are, I think, equally important. The first off, we are called out from something. Uh, this, is, this is the same uh, root word for calling that is used for church. Uh, the, the word, the Greek word uh, it, for, used for church in scripture is ekklesia, and it's, it's, uh, it, it means the called out ones. Uh, that's what the church is. We are called out from something. The church, the body of Christ, has been called out from sin, from the sin of the world. We're, we're separate. We're set apart. Uh, Christ calls us to a new life, set aside from sin. We're, we're living in this world, but we're not at home here because we're separated. We're, 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 we're called out from sin. That sinful life, our, our, the, the culture in which we live. So we're called out from something. But, but equally important, that's only part of this idea of calling. Not only have we been called from something, but we're also called to something. We're called into service for God. We use that term to de describe uh, uh, what we give our lives to, how our gifts and graces fit together to accomplish God's will. It's my calling. Annabelle shared earlier, I, I feel called into the ministry. We, we, uh, we, 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 uh, that, that 
we use that, that term a lot when we're talking about minute, but it could refer to anything. Uh, it's, it's this twofold idea, though, this calling is um, uh, live a life worthy of the calling. I'm called out from sin, and I'm called into service. That's what uh, Paul's talking about here. It's, it's this twofold thing, and it's all together. I'm going to live differently, and, and so I'm not going to sin, but I'm also going to be active in uh, fulfilling God's mission in the world. And so how does Paul propose that we live up to this calling? In these first six verses, the first thing that he emphasizes is that we're supposed to be doing it together. He talks about humility. He talks about gentleness. He talks about patience. He talks about bearing with one another in love. Uh, Maybe we could sum it up this way. You cannot live out your calling alone. That, that seems to be the essence of what he's saying here as, it, as he turns the corner and he says, okay, you've got this identity, uh, but it's all of you together and you're not going to be effective if you're just doing it, trying to do it on your own. We've got to do it together. My calling includes you and your calling includes me and together we're, we're, we're doing all that we can to the way we say it around here is that we're loving people to life, right? And so we're going to work together to do that. We can't do it alone. We are unified in our calling. Uh, God, uh, uh, Paul uses all those one statements here, right? Uh, the, the last part, the last couple of verses there, uh, we're one body. And we're, we're organized under one spirit and we have one hope and one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all and he's over all and through all and in all. He, he's uniting us together. Who are you? You're called. Uh, an, another thing we learn from this is that you are, we are one. Who are you? Well, we are one together. Our calling unifies us. So as the church, as the called out ones, we are here to live together in unity. And not just we here, but church, big C, uh, followers of, uh, of Christ, uh, we are to live together in unity. But so many times, I mean, let's just face it, that doesn't happen, right? Churches split, people argue, uh, the, the church gets a bad reputation instead of being unified uh, as the body of Christ, instead of working together to fulfill our calling. Uh, the, the tone of, of Paul's message here in these first few verses is, is, is pretty intense. I mean, he's, he's pretty fired up about this. He says, I urge you. He, he says, be completely humble and gentle. He says, make every effort to keep the unity. It's not like, well, if you can work together, that'd be great. He says, he says do it at all costs. I urge you completely, make every effort. Uh, Paul believed that the, in the church and in its potential to bring about transformation in the lives of people, he didn't want anything or anyone to cause division or distraction from what the church could accomplish. From his other letters, uh, we know that, that, that he'd, been, uh, uh, he'd seen some of the devastation that, that was caused by internal strife in churches and, and discord between church uh, members. He also knew that the church was the holder, is the holder of the good news And that good news changes everything. It's transformational. God so loved the world, and that's not just the Jews, but that's for everyone. And that's Paul's message. And he he says, we've got to urge you. You've got to make every effort to stick together on this. He he would have agreed, I think Paul would have agreed with with a statement I uh, ran across from one theologian that says, when the church is divided, it produces some very tragic results. 
On the other hand, when the church is unified, it unleashes a power that can hardly be stopped. I want to be that church that can hardly be stopped. Paul says that that one of the secrets lies in our unity. If we're going to be that church, this passage says we need to do whatever we can to, in one way to look at it, I guess, reduce friction. Friction, not to get too scientific on you, you probably know what friction is, but it's when uh, 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 objects are moving in different directions at different speeds and they collide and they rub on each other and when that happens it creates heat and stress in the objects involved. Same is true with people, and the church is not exempt. People move in different directions at different speeds, and they rub each other the wrong way, and there's friction, and temperatures tend to rise, right? So, so I guess Paul is saying, how do we bring that temperature down and work together? And, uh, and, and one metaphor I think we could use is looking at a car engine. Now, I don't know a whole lot about uh, a car engine, but I do, the, do know that it's a whole lot more complicated than what I understand. Um, I, I don't know... How it all works, I just know that it does. At least most of the time it does for me. Uh, uh, on those times that it doesn't, then I'm up in arms. Usually if something isn't working right and I, oh, there's something wrong, I will usually take the time to get out, pop, I know how to pop the hood, and I'll put the hood up and prop it up. And um, if something's on fire, I could probably put it out, right? I, I would notice that, and I would say that doesn't belong there. So far in the however many times I've done that, nothing's ever been on fire, pretty sure that I've never like said, oh, well, there's a wire like dangling. I bet that's what's wrong, you know? It's, it's not that obvious. So, so usually I do that, and then I call AAA, and they come and take care of it, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of how it, how it works in my life. But from what I hear and what I understand, there are a couple of things that an engine needs, and this is so overgeneralizing it. So those of you that are mechanics in the room, just bear with me, and and uh, you know I'm, I'll apologize ahead of time. But uh, but but they say that with all these moving parts, in order to keep them running smoothly and keep that engine where it needs to be, uh, uh, with all, and and there's all that friction going on, and different parts moving in different directions, and and uh, heat, and and all those kinds of things. Uh, that that there are a couple of things that an engine needs. There's a whole lot of things, but a couple I want to talk about today that reduce the friction and help those parts to work together to accomplish the goal of getting that car down the road. And the first key ingredient is oil. An engine without oil doesn't run for very long. When Some of you know that from personal experience. Um, when I was in seminary, I worked part-time at, a, uh, at, a, at a, a church as a youth pastor and uh, just outside Kansas City. And at one point, uh, we, uh, we bought a church bus. There was a lot wrong with this bus. I think our pastor had, uh, you know, he got a great deal on it. Um, uh, he was always getting great deals of some sort. But uh, uh, anyway, it needed some work. And so a couple of guys in the, in the church were gifted with the mechanical uh, gifts. And so it seemed like, uh, you know, every time they had a, had a spare moment, they'd be all over that thing. And they were fixing this and that and underneath and over top and the you know they prop the big engine they're crawling up in there and up underneath and they're doing and I mean it weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of this and um the deadline for that bus to be done we set was uh uh was was the annual pilgrimage to the local amusement park for the youth group uh worlds of fun all the churches on the Mid-America region, seven states involved in this, and they would all descend upon, uh, well, it's Kansas City's version of Cedar Point, and really, I mean, that's saying a lot, because Worlds of Fun was kind of like 
a little bit of fun, right? I mean, it wasn't worlds of fun. It wasn't even like countries of fun. It was more like, I don't know, a state of fun, maybe. So... Anyway, so anyway, we, worlds of fun, it was on the outside again, and so, so we, okay, well, we want to, our, our youth group would like, you know, double or triple on that night, because we're going to worlds of fun, and from six to midnight, uh, we were just there, and uh, man, I've got stories of, of those, uh, those times as over 10 years of taking kids to, uh, to worlds of fun, but, but the goal was to get the bus up and running before we headed to the amusement park, and so sure enough, a few days before, I got the all clear from the mechanics, and, and uh, I arranged for a bus driver, and, and that evening, we loaded, I don't know, 30 30 kids and adults onto this bus and we headed toward the amusement park. I'm sitting in the front and I could tell that the bus driver was having a couple of issues with some things, but you know, it's a new engine. They kind of, they basically, they rebuilt this whole engine basically. And, uh, and so new engine and everything, but uh, finally he mentioned to me, I don't know, this doesn't quite feel right. And, and so 10 whole minutes into the trip, we pull off into a gas station, and as we did, the engine dies, the bus rolls to a stop, and tried and tried to get that thing going again, and it was like all seized up and wouldn't do anything. I don't remember how we made it to Worlds of Fun that night, uh, but I do know that after further inspection, it was discovered that after these guys had spent uh, weeks and weeks and weeks working on this engine and rebuilding and doing all sorts of things, uh, each one thought the other one had filled it with oil. No oil. Now, a bus takes a lot of oil, and there was no oil, and this whole engine had seized up because all of these moving parts, too much friction, all this stuff, I don't remember, but I think we ended up selling the bus for parts. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was, this was a big, big thing. Oil reduces friction and keeps the parts of an engine working well together. So you're saying, well, what in the world does that have to do with the church? Well, Paul talks about a couple of things here that I think uh, the metaphor uh, relates to, uh, to oil in the engine of the church. And it's all those first couple of things that he talks about there. Be completely humble and gentle. Humility is a key component to a healthy Christian and to a healthy church. It's, it's the oil, the lubrication that kind of keeps things working together well. It's a, it's a key ingredient that keeps all the amazingly diverse parts of the body of Christ working in tandem, and it reduces friction. If I'm completely humble, then I'm not concerned about myself or getting my way or how I think things should be done. Humility involves looking to other people's interests, not just my own. But even more than that, I think complete humility, maybe this is a way to think about it. I'm so lost in the love of God. I'm so overcome by the depth and the height and the breadth of his love, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago at the end of chapter 3. I'm so involved in all of that and so in love with God that I've lost myself in finding him. And so it's not about me. I'm, I'm intent on living out God's calling for the church. I'm not tied up in pride or jealousy or getting my way. I just want his way. And so just like an engine has a primary goal of making that, that, making that car go, the church, we have one mission, but all these different parts, and one thing that helps lubricate that process and keep it running smoothly is the oil of humility and gentleness. Andrew Murray in his little book, Humility, says this, I feel deeply that we have very little concept of what the church suffers as a result of its lack of humility. The self-abasement that makes room for God to prove his power. 
So Paul urges us as the church, as this body of believers, this engine with with so much diversity and so much potential, with such a a crucial calling in the world, uh, Paul urges us to reduce the natural friction in our relationships by using the soothing oil of humility and gentleness. Be completely humble and gentle. Going back to the engine, another thing that reduces friction in an engine I understand they call it tolerance. So the metal parts of an engine are made with great precision, right? And, and many of those parts have to work together. Uh, pistons have to, have, have to go where pistons go and um, uh, you know, all those other things uh, and stuff. But no, all those parts, and they have to move and work uh, in and out of each other and, and all those kinds of things. And, and if they were exactly the same size as the hole they were supposed to fit into, it wouldn't work. So they have to be a little bit smaller, just a little bit. Just in a, They're too small, it doesn't, but there's got to be that tolerance, that space in between. Then, then the oil can go in and lubricate the whole process and all those sorts of things. Um, if there isn't any space in between, it wouldn't move, it wouldn't run, the, the engine wouldn't go in in the automotive world that space is called tolerance and sometimes i mean it's a millimeter half a millimeter or it's but but in this passage paul urges us and maybe we can think about this as the tolerance between the parts in an engine uh he says be patient bearing with one another in love that, that patience, that, that endurance, that love creates space between us so that we can each play our part still operating as a team. Many times uh, loving someone means tolerating them, right, to an extent. Uh, the, the New Living Translation, I, I love how it translates this verse. It says, be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. He doesn't say if somebody has faults. He says everybody's going to have faults. We all have faults. We've got to make allowance for that. There's got to be some space. We've got to allow for that. Why? Because of our love for God and for each other. We all have, if you look around here, everybody's different, right? We all have, uh, we're, we're all different. It's a diverse group of people. But that's just our local church. And we think about the complex diversity in the church uh, just in our city or in our state or in our country or around the globe. I mean, the diversity, uh, different cultures, different customs, different traditions, different practices, and yet still part of the same engine, right? Looking to effectively live out our calling in the world, to love people to life. We, we won't always see eye to eye. We won't always agree on everything. There's going to be friction at times, a buffer zone of, of patience. Making allowance for each other's faults keeps us working together despite our differences. It's kind of the opposite of this, uh, this limerick that I ran across. Uh, there once were two cats from Kilkenny. Each thought there was one cat too many. They fought and they spit. They clawed and they bit till instead of two cats, there weren't any. So, too much fighting and spitting and clawing and biting in the church many times leads to ineffectiveness in living out her calling in the world. Martin Luther uh, said uh, uh, that the church needed a good dose of goat sense. Ah, he lived 
you know, 500 years ago. But, uh, but he, he told the story of two goats meeting on a path on a mountain ridge and it was just barely big enough for, for one to pass. And so instead of butting each other and both of them uh, probably going, falling off to their demise, he, he, these two goats came together and one of the goats literally laid down and let the other one walk over it so they could both go on their way. And Luther said that the church could do with a little more goat sense, less clawing and biting. And, and why is that? Why does it matter, right? I mean, we're just, we're just an organization, right? We're just a group of people. It matters because the stakes are so high, right? It matters because we've got a mission. The, the car's got to go down the road. We've got something to accomplish. God has offered eternal, abundant life to every single person who has ever lived. And he's, call, he's called you, he's called us to spread the word, to carry the message, to love people so that they can be drawn to him and, and drawn to that abundant life that he brings. And so this, this, this letter of Ephesians shifts here in chapter 4 to practical instructions and the first thing the very first thing that Paul wanted to emphasize he wanted to make sure we got right uh, before he goes on to all these other uh, instructions that he's going to give he says you've got to work together or you're never going to live up to your calling Uh, it's a story uh, years ago in Canada a little two-year-old girl wandered away uh from, from her home, happened to, to get out and wander out, and it was a cold winter day, and, and her parents realized uh, uh, that, that, that she was missing, but she was long gone by then. And so they went around frantically searching, and they started knocking on neighbors' doors and doing all of that, and, and uh, this is well before technology could assist, and, and communities weren't necessarily prepared with, with uh, watches and, and, uh, or a plan for searching or all those sorts of things like maybe we see today, but uh, the, the neighbors kind of just went out and started looking, and one was going over here, and one going over here, and they were, they were just going all over the place, and, and, and over a few hours, word spread, and more and more people were heading out and uh, all over uh, looking, and they're calling out for this little girl, and and nobody could find her, and finally, after fruitless searching, they kind of had all gathered back around this big, large field across the way, and, and uh, one, of the, one of the men said, well, instead of all working separately, I think we need to, to join hands and form a long line across the end of this field and just make our way, painstakingly slow, but make our way across this field and walk together, and then we won't miss a spot. And so that's what they did, and sure enough, they joined hands And they walked as one long line and they called this little girl's name and they found her. I wish I could say that they found her and all was great, but tragically it had been way too long and she had succumbed to the the environment and the cold and the snow. One of the men in great anguish said, if only we had joined hands sooner. If only we had joined hands sooner sooner that's that's why paul is so urgent here i urge you uh, be completely humble make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace Uh, the stakes are too high the mission is too great we have to join hands despite differences despite our our personalities despite our preferences in humility in patience and love paul says live up to the calling that you've received you are a child of God. You've been redeemed. You've been called near. You're not kept far away. You, the, the God is, is, is making you into a place where his very spirit dwells. So live like it. What is one big way we need to live like it? Well, we need to work together. We're not just individuals following Jesus. It's not just Jesus and me. It's us together 
fulfilling his mission. We live to love people to life. It's a call today to be reminded of the stakes of, uh, of our mission. That eternity is in the balance. It's also a call today to make sure that there's nothing in the way of our relationships. Maybe that's with each other here, and I don't know of, uh, of any big uh, problems or issues that we're facing. It's not like we have a, 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 you know, the, the sheep and the goats, right, uh, that, are, uh, that are fighting with each other or anything like that. Sorry, goats. Um, but if there's, you know, the, if, rather than an altar call today, I think the, 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 a great response would be uh, praying for and asking God to reveal if there's a relationship where you need to reach out and, and, and see if things need to be mended. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe to build that or intentionally develop relationships with others. Or maybe it's somebody in, in the community. Or maybe it's a, uh, other, other folks in other churches uh, elsewhere. But we are all on the same team in, in the engine accomplishing things for Christ. Next time we're going to talk about uh, not just the unity, but then Paul talks about our diversity and how that all plays in. We're all different parts, but still accomplishing the same tasks, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But, but today, before we go uh, any further in this passage, I, I, Paul says, hey, I urge you, be completely, make every effort, make sure that you're doing this together. Will you stand with me? Father God, we, we love you and we thank you for the calling that we've received to be part of, of, of the family of God. We thank you that you've uh, gifted us and, and graced us with the, uh, the abilities that, that you have and the, the, the supernatural uh, power of your spirit. Uh, but Lord, I, I pray that you'll help us to have that, that oil of humility and gentleness and we'll have that tolerance of, uh, of patience and, and bearing with one another because of our love, our love for each other and our love for you. Lord, I pray that if there are relationships that need some attention in our lives, that you'll bring those things to mind and that, that you'll give us the courage to actively pursue reconciliation in those relationships. Maybe even today, maybe this week, lead us to those natural places where we can make sure that we are working together because we are one. We are one in the body of Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. We are worshiping you want to accomplish your plans in the world and we want to do that together lord i pray that you would would go with us and lead us as we go we love you today in jesus name amen